Welcome to the Talking Poem Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Green. On most episodes, I talk with a poet, a critic, or a reader about any poem that they'd like to talk about. Sometimes, though, there's a poem or an element of poetry I really want to talk about or draw people's attention to. So, today I'm introducing an episode type I'm calling Short Form. On today's Short Form, The Underrated Magic of Vowels. In poetry classes, we tend to talk about repetition of consonant and vowel sounds, and we have categories of consonant sounds like plosives, nasals, liquids, fricatives. But for vowels beyond assonance, it seems like there's not much to say other than if we're talking about rhyme and slant rhyme. But I want to talk about the ways that vowels can move in a line and the ways that varying vowel sounds can affect meaning, can create rhythm. So I'm relying here on a fantastic poetry textbook that is unfortunately now out of print, Western Wind, written and edited by David Mason and John Frederick Nims. I don't know if this discussion is in every edition. I know it's in the eighth. So they write that you can put vowel sounds on a scale similar to a scale of musical notes. They write, quote, sound, as we know, travels in waves. Since it travels at constant speed, the shorter the waves, the more per second. The higher, that is, the frequency of a sound. Shortwave sounds are high-frequency sounds, shrill sounds, like the E of we. The longer the waves, the fewer per second, and the slower and deeper the sound seems to be. So the oo of moon is a low-frequency sound, end quote. They note that the vowel scale is not as precise as the scale of musical notes. Vowel sounds are made up of multiple tones and are more like chords. That said, it is a very useful model to how our ear picks up vowel sounds. We have the oo of boo, the o of bone, and the u of ook. Those are on the lower end. And the i of by, the a of bay, and the e of b on the upper end. This actually corresponds to, of all things, singing. In opera, basses tend to hold notes on the lower end of the scale, and altos and sopranos tend to hold notes on the upper end. Shout out, by the way, to my wife, who once upon a time studied opera as a coloratura soprano. So first, I want to look at vowels in one of my favorite poems, Gerard Manley Hopkins' God's Grandeur. There's so, so much to talk about in this poem to do with sound, but I'm just ultimately going to focus on the vowels in the first and last lines, and I'll reread the whole thing here. God's Grandeur. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, cause the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. I love this poem, and I love teaching this poem, in part because I use it as an example of a poem where the subject matter, for me, is not necessarily obviously appealing to me as I am not especially religious. I also love teaching it for sound. In the first line, one of the things I love is how the vowels for most of the line are tied up with these chunky consonant sounds before opening up in the last word. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. Er, ar, ran, er, God. 
whether you think it's accidental or not, it's appropriate for the poem that the vowels have this sort of complicated tie to the R sounds and then opens to something clearer and more resonant, given Hopkins' faith in God. But the real kicker for me in the poem is the last line. I'm going to reread the last two lines, and I'll go really slowly with the last line, which begins, world broods. Because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. Except for with and and, the vowels in the last line go up the vowel scale. World broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. The vowels in all those stressed syllables go upward with the line, and it's so perfect because the line seems to be taking off with wings for the vowels go upward. There's this lightness, a taking off that goes along the line. It's absolutely brilliant and mind-blowing to me, and it happens in part with those alternating consonants to start the words, world broods with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. And again, we get all those vowels tied up with the R's, world broods, warm breasts, bright wings. And so there's the clean is the word I'm thinking of, that there's something clean about that vowel not tied to the R. And so something else that's happening in addition to echoing, I think, the movement there, these vowels make our mouths move through all these vowel shapes as we read. And that for us as readers creates a greater sense of movement if we are attentive to sound. I want to look briefly at another example, this time just a single couplet from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. I won't reread the whole thing because... Short form episodes are supposed to be shorter than usual. Just the couplet, a pair of lines that has stuck with me ever since I first read this poem in college. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. One more time, because I just love it so much. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. Our ears immediately know the repetition of the C and the S consonant sounds, especially once we get to claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. But I've only noticed recently after reading and studying this poem, who knows how many times over the last 20 years, just how many unrepeated vowel sounds we get and how much movement, particularly alternation, that there is in the vowel sounds throughout. And that alternation happens as it does in the Hopkins, especially on the stress syllables. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. You can really hear it when Elliot reads it, just how much vowel variation that there is. I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. And it's not as if Hopkins and Elliot sat there with the vowel scale sitting in front of them as they wrote. At least it seems highly, highly unlikely. They just had incredible ears like most great poets. And maybe it's an instinct, but it's a genius instinct. And I know that there are going to be people who are skeptical, at least I counter this in class, where students are like, well, how do we know that's intentional? Obviously, we, we don't. We don't have them in front of us. But what I find is that when I'm reading poets with such a fantastic ear for sound, it's not just repetition. There's also the variation in sound, in vowels, in consonant sounds as well. The more slowly I read, the more attention I pay to words, the more I hear how this variation matters. It's not as if the variation works independently of other sound. Variation actually sets up assonance and rhyme to hit harder. In fact, Proofrock is a fantastic poem for that. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. 
there's all that variation. We get a little bit of repetition, but the go and oh, I think hit so hard as rhymes in part because of the variation. In the room, the women come and go, talking of Michelangelo. So much vowel movement in there along with the other sound effects. So I'll end here by reading aloud the poem Kitchenette Building by Gwendolyn Brooks. I'm actually not going to talk about it afterward, and we have no advertising partner this episode, so when I get to it, I will just read slowly so we can hear how the movement of vowels works with the rhyme of the poem. You'll hear it especially, I hear it especially in the first lines and throughout the poem. And by the way, I just want to mention before I get there that I really appreciate those of you who have sent kind words about the show and who have given us ratings on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And I want to thank you. If you do write a review or give a review, it's very, very helpful to the show. More people will see it. And I hate to do this kind of advertising. But if you leave a written review, my promise to you is that I will write a haiku or a limerick in your honor and read it on a future episode. If that is a bribe for you, please go and do it. It really does help the show. So once I'm finished reading the poem, as always, have a good day. Go read some poems, pet some dogs, and support striking workers wherever you may find them. So here is Kitchenette Building by Gwendolyn Brooks. We are things of dry hours in the involuntary plan, grayed in and gray. Dream makes a giddy sound, not strong like rent, feeding a wife, satisfying a man. But could a dream send up through onion fumes its white and violet, fight with fried potatoes and yesterday's garbage ripening in the hall, flutter or sing an aria down those rooms, even if we were willing to let it in, had time to warm it, keep it very clean Anticipate a message, let it begin, we wonder. But not well, not for a minute. Since number five is out of the bathroom now, we think of lukewarm water, hope to get in it. Thanks for listening. Bye.